Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline podcast. I'm Dax Holt, joined by Mr. Adam Glenn, and we have... A guest coming in today, which I'm very excited about. Someone Damn, that we've trying to get this guy forever. I'm excited. I'm well, excited. He's a busy dude, so we, we yeah. have to wait our turn. But we've got in one of the legends in our field here, Mr. AJ Benza. Welcome. Wow, that's pretty cool to hear that word "legend" associated with me. Um, that's I'll, I'll take it. I'll accept well, it. Well, listen, you, you're talking <laughs> to two guys that used to work at TMZ. You know what I'm saying? And you, I say, go down in the Hall of Fame of gossip columnists or news reporters, whatever you want to consider yourself. But I, I think that, you know, I, I've known you throughout the years. I mean, God, I remember the New York Daily News days and then the yeah. E! days. I've watched you on the Reels channel. I mean, I, you've kind of done yeah. it all when it comes to this industry. Yeah, I've done everything except uh, TMZ. I've yep. done everything but TMZ. There you go. I don't think, Harvey was not a big fan of mine. Harvey... Um, Harvey wanted to stay clear to me when I came out to L.A. It was very obvious that uh, he didn't want to be uh, around me. We, we both were interviewing to do something together for a network. And uh, I remember Harvey's face just dropping when he saw me in the room. I don't know what, you know, we never had an altercation. It's just like, I don't think he grooves with me, which is fine. I love TMZ. Do you think there's, really... it's just healthy competition there? Yeah, yeah. Harvey's like that. I think he, look, Harvey, for a long time, he was great. What he and what he did, and then TMZ, you guys just busted open a whole new field. So I have nothing but respect for him. But uh, yeah, we're just very different dudes. We get information in a different way. Put it that way. Yeah. Is that, you know, how would you how would you say you get generally most of your information? I mean, you've been around for a long time, but how necessarily would you say the majority of your news that you break or your stories you share? How would you say your your sources or what is that? <clears throat> Honestly. The, the majority of my information over the years has been, has been obtained because I've been around so long and I know exactly who to call and where to go when I need a story corroborated or a tip lengthened. I just, I just, I have a lot of people everywhere that I can call to get closer to a story, but I would be lying if I said that lately, in the last few years, I have like a spidey sense when I just know something's off. I... I was on Adam Carolla's show the day that Jesse Smollett's story broke, and I said, bullshit, he's lying. I was right. Kevin Hart's automobile accident, same thing. You know, and if you approach certain stories knowing right away it's bullshit, I think you, you, you beat half the, half the field to the, to, the, to the real story because you're already on it. Um, but outside of, outside of having a lot of contact, it's just, I don't know, a spidey sense after 30 years of doing it. I... I kind of know who's full of shit and who's not. So what what do you think is one of the biggest stories out there that people have a misconception about? Like like I feel like like the Michael Jackson situation. There's so oh, many people yeah. that were still like brainwashed into he's an amazing person, then you get these documentaries, you get these first-hand accounts of maybe that's not really him. Do you feel like that might be the biggest story out there where it's misconceptions? Yeah. You know what? I, I hate to say this because 
you know, so many people have probably said it, but the column I wrote for the Daily News, hot copy, we were the absolute first people to get that Michael Jackson story. We put Jordy Chandler's name in the paper before anything was happening because we thought it was very weird that Michael had a young friend that he took to, uh, you know, Euro Disney and crap like that. And I know, I, I look, back then I was a wild man. I dated Jermaine Jackson's ex-wife, so I, I got really close to the whole Michael Jackson scenario. I know he's guilty. I know family members who came to me and begged me to tell a story because they couldn't stand what their brother was up to. But he has such a strong fan base, you'll never convince 40% of the public that he's guilty. They, they'll just never buy it. Um, to me, that's the biggest story I've ever been around. And, you know, I was around in the 90s when everything went to trial, whether it was Tanya Harding, O.J. Simpson, Menendez brothers. There seemed to be a new... Uh, a new scenario or a huge trial every two weeks. So I, I've been around all of those stories and I, nothing measures up yet to the Michael Jackson story. Well, let me ask you this. Before we get to all those stories, I want to just know how did you get your start as this, I don't know how to describe you because you're a hardcore journalist, but you had this yeah. interesting path that you kind of created your own. Like you became, you know, you were a journalist, but then became a lot of like a personality, Howard Stern like, yeah. you know? I don't you know. I was I was I was married. I married my high school sweetheart, and then five years we got divorced. I was a sports writer for Newsday on Long Island, and um, you know I got divorced, so I had some time to go to this New York City and hang out at some clubs, and I started seeing a lot of things that I didn't think were happening. I saw all the supermodels, you know, Evangelista, Turlington, Crawford, all these chicks hanging out. And back then in the New York, in New York City, the '90s, supermodels were everything. And I called the gossip columnist at Newsday, and I said, look, I, I think I've got a tip for you. I saw Cindy Crawford making out with another model named Gail Elliott. And this woman, Linda Stacy, flipped out. So I started giving her tips, and then eventually she said, why don't you work for me a couple of days a week? She gave me a few bucks to go out to parties every night. And suddenly, I was thrust into Manhattan's nightlife, and I saw so many things. And I think I started to become who I am because I stayed out the latest. I I got drunk with celebrities. I dated celebrities, and before you know it, I was hearing things I shouldn't hear. And, and um, when you go to these, I started bringing home stories. Wait, What's that? like the nightlife is much different now in New York City than it was when you were there. Like yeah. now, nobody goes out at clubs in New York. You know, when you were there, yeah, know. nobody goes out. And what they do now in Hollywood, apparently, is they just rent houses. They throw these parties at houses. Yeah. You make sure you can't bring your phone in. It's more right. discreet, it's more chill, it's more pricey, but that's the way people go out now. But like, you're in the nightlife. Did people, you know, since doing what you did, did you walk into a party or a club or some event where they'd be like, oh, AJ's here, everyone act cool. How, was, how did people treat you? <laughs> that is such a good question. Well, you know, it's interesting. There was definitely a dynamic where once I got to be a name and people read my column and it was very popular, when I go into certain clubs, um, half the room liked me. The other half of the room, I think, pretended to like me because they were scared. And and I was pretty good at balancing what to print and what not to print. Because when I, like, how can I say it? When I got to L.A., I had a reputation. And a lot of celebrities, like Sean Penn, for instance, Sean was pissed off at the stuff I wrote about him. And then Sean wanted me to do to do bad things with him so he'd have dirt on me. It got to be a really weird scenario where I found myself 
at house parties, like you said, in L.A., with some big-time people, doing drugs, getting drunk. Um, so I got myself in a predicament when I got to L.A. But in New York, it was very simple. To go out, I had got countless contacts, a lot of publicists who needed me, and I would just show up, and, and, and I got stories. I could do a column or two in one night. It just became very easy to get my stories, have my fun, get home at 4 o'clock in the morning, get to work by 9. That's when I had young legs and I was you know, 31 years old. I'd stay out every fucking night. Now, I don't know how I would approach it if I was a, a columnist now. I mean, it's a different world. Like you said, there's house parties. They're very guarded. But I think the, the way it is now, I know the people that hung Like I know Jamie Foxx and those guys. I know what they did in, in 2000. I know the girls they dated. I know the kind of habits they had. And I could easily put two and two together. Like when, for instance, when Jamie was with Katie Holmes or now he's with this other young chick, I just know the way these guys are because I was able to be with them a while. And don't forget, from, from uh, 2000, let's say 98 to 2005 or six, I was out of gossip completely. So a lot of people let their guard down and let me in again. And then I just recently, maybe in the last four or five years, kind of picked it up again and decided to run with that again. And now I have a bunch of other information from the five or six years I ran with those guys again. Why, why did you get out of it? Uh, I just, I felt dirty. You know, it's, a, it's you guys know, it's the kind of field where after a while, you just don't like having dirt on people. You don't like how you're perceived in a room. And not for nothing, it stopped me from getting hired for TV shows. I was up for a number of TV shows that it came down to and they just couldn't pull the trigger because people knew me as AJ the Gossip Columnist. It'd be like Bill Maher going on a sitcom now. Would you buy him as an actor on a sitcom? No. And that's when I was auditioning for things. It came down to that. I was up for The Sopranos, but it came down to, you're great at this, but no one's going to believe you're an actor on this show because you're AJ the Gossip Columnist. So then I said, I'm done. Fuck this. I want to do more things. And then, um, I don't know, my career... I went to do a lot of TV shows, hosting a lot of shows. The gossip kind of died for me for a while. TMZ, you guys had it covered wall to wall. There was no room for someone else to do it. And I kind of walked away from it. And now I feel like it's wide open again. I think Harvey dropped his guard. As many people as he has with him, I don't think they do the same amount of work they used to do. It's softer, it's gentler. What happened to him happened to a lot of people who used to get dirt on everybody. They get soft. They get friendly with celebrities. So now I think it's open again. And I decided to, to start my podcast about two and a half years ago because I said I got too many great stories and I can always I can chase any story that breaks. I can get to it before most people get to the bottom of it. And that's the way it's been for the last few years now. And your podcast, what, the name of your podcast, what, Fame is a Bitch? Fame is a Bitch, yeah, yeah. And now... And I've been, I've been at it for, for a few years now, and I'm having a fun. I'm having a good time with it. Now, I want to tell. So, I read this. Is this accurate that you actually coined the term "fame ain't in a bitch"? Yeah, at E. That's amazing. Um, I I, I had no idea I, until I, I was I, doing some research on you, and then I was like, "Oh my god, he came up with this term that is <clears throat> so famous." I know. I never. I know. I know. But it, it didn't feel like a great term at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were just in a meeting at E, and. Um, you know, Mysteries and Scandals wasn't a show they thought was going to take off. You know, they gave it a shot. It was like, let's see what happens. And they were kicking around taglines. And one tagline was, 
my Hollywood, my kind of town. And I said, well, why is it my kind of town? People die. They get hooked on drugs. No, let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I forget why I thought of fame as a bitch, but it just came to me. And um, yeah, it, it was a great tagline. And now we launched a podcast a few years ago. And, we, and my, my partner was a little nervous that E might, you know, come after us because they had. I said, don't worry about E. I said, we'll change it to just fame is a bitch. No big deal. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I did a lot of things before it became fashionable to brand yourself or copyright things. Uh, during the Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan era, when everybody was brand- getting liquor deals and branding themselves, I just walked away from gossip at that point. But uh, well, you walked away during that time, like yeah, the Paris yeah. Hilton time. Yeah. Oh I man, did. that was like the heyday. That was the craziest. I, I know. It was a heyday for you young guys, but for us, I'm my 50s, so for me, it was like, oh, this sucks. These people are nobodies, and they're getting written up every day, and it's fucking mm-hmm. boring. I was from, I loved writing about action stars and supermodels and old Hollywood legends. When, when Lindsay Lohan, Nicole Richie, and Paris Hilton, and Kim Kardashian came out, I was disgusted. I was disgusted. And they're a very vapid, empty crew of people. Nothing of interest to me. I give the Kardashians a lot of credit, but what's fascinating about them? I don't think anything is. I but I, you're right. It was the launch of TMZ and all those other places and people who, Perez Hilton got famous out of it. And I was a little bitter because, well, wow, they really shot to the top, but I wouldn't have been able to compete. Yeah. I just got married. I just had a baby. I wasn't going out anymore. So how am I going to compete with all you young legs running around L.A. and Manhattan at 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't do it anyhow. So, No, I see where you're coming from because I feel like we're still, you know, we're actually at a little bit of a transition period with YouTube stars and the Instagram stars. And it's hard to even keep up. I mean, there's so many celebrities now. And then the question is, what makes them a celebrity? Just because they have a million followers, are they a celebrity? You know, half those celebrity, half their followers are bought. So it's like, how do we decide who's a celebrity, who's not? You know, ba- you know, we decide who's a celebrity based on their following, and that's even kind of a vague term right now because following is such a kind of loosely bullshit sort of term. It's yeah, it's yeah. How it's now. Uh, but what was yeah. the biggest story? You know, when you're coming up, I feel like every journalist has a story that man, that's the one that put you on the map that said this guy's here, he's here to stay, he's going to do some big stuff. Do you remember your first story that really put you on the map? You know, it might not seem big now, but in the in the mid '90s during Fashion Week, uh, I got to be friendly with Mickey Rourke. Who it was fascinating for me because I was a huge fan of Mickey uh, when I was growing up, and I met him during a time where the industry, the modeling industry, didn't want him anywhere near the girls. He had just broken up with Carrie Otis, or she broke up with him, and I was trying to sneak into Vogue magazine's hundredth birthday party in Manhattan. I couldn't get in. I got thrown out. Mickey got thrown out. We met each other for the first time. We got in the car and went downtown. And I began to stay friendly with him. In the car that night was Tupac Shakur. Me, Mickey, Tupac, and one of Mickey's buddies, John Enos, who played uh, Bobby, I think, Paradise or something like that on Melrose Place. Anyhow, we're driving around. And it was such a crazy night. We ended up at a party where every supermodel and big-time star came to. I got so much mileage out of that being friends with Tupac, going to see him at the hospital when he was shot, um, helping Mickey track down Cariotis and, and making them get back together. All those things happened so quickly in like 95, 94, 
and the Michael Jackson story was huge, that my name was being bounced around in a lot of different magazines. All the hip-hop mags had my name because Tupac was telling me shit that no one else knew. Uh, the modeling people, it, it, was a, it was a crazy perfect storm that night in that car. I'm not saying it was a big story, but that kind of propelled me into this, uh, this legion of people that people like celebrities took, uh, gave respect to. They let me in. I was Mickey's friend. I was Tupac's friend. I could go anywhere with just those two names. That's amazing. I love yeah, that, that story. A what, what a fascinating behind the scenes story of someone's career. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a great yeah, story. It, it just happened. And, and because Mickey was really tight with Tupac, um, I was up in the hospital room the first time he was shot and no one else was there. And I know looking back, I'm like, that's a fucking pretty big moment. Like nobody was in the room but me and Tupac and his mother. Um, and he told me some things and I don't know, it gave me some kind of street cred. Um, and then, you know, I dated people and um, I ended up throwing myself into stories where if I was a girl, I'd be a tramp. I mean, when OJ Simpson was doing his thing and he was on the phone with certain Playboy Playmates, I went to L.A. and made sure I dated those Playmates and got my O.J. shit. I, I, was, I threw my body into stories. I didn't care what I looked like or sounded like. I wrote about myself a lot. A lot of people hated that. I, I, I think I used the word I in my columns more than any other word. But I didn't care. I really wanted to be, like, known and, and semi-famous. It's, uh, it sounds pretty shitty now, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted people to know me. So, you know, what really kind of struck my interest, this summer I was reading Howard Stern's book. And yeah, you're all over that. I know. I know. Yeah, you know, because obviously you, I, you know, I, AJ, I actually used to work at the Howard Stern show. I was an intern there at K-Rock. Yeah. I was at right. both the But you, you were a major part of the show. You actually almost took over the Jackie chair. I mean, right? Yeah. I, you almost yeah, took over the Hartling chair. But yeah. you also became very famous because you had a lot of feuds with, well, you had a major feud with Donald Trump. Where yeah. Donald Trump actually took your girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it, it's come down that he took my girlfriend, really, and this is the God's honest truth. I moved to L.A., and I knew I could never stay with her boyfriend 3,000 miles apart. She was a supermodel. The whole fucking city wanted her. And every time I went back to New York, we'd see each other. But I knew when I was in L.A. that she was seeing other guys. I just hated that it was Trump because I thought he was an asshole. So him and I had a number of great fights, uh, two of which no one knows about because they were private. And I called him and I tape recorded the conversation. If I had that tape now, it would be the biggest story in the world. But I destroyed the tape. But yeah, he, he, he we, we were both banging the same girl at the same time. Put it that way. We <laughs> overlapped and it got gross. And on Stern, the fight came to a head. And I know Howard was pushing his book everywhere on every channel. And every channel from Colbert to Anderson Cooper to you name it, he would talk about the fight between me and Trump. I know. I, it, I can't explain. There's, there's a lot of luck involved that my name is involved in some pretty big stories like a Tupac, like a Trump. I don't know what to I don't know what to call that. It's just very it's just wonderful happenstance that I was in those those people's lives. At, and then one becomes the president. One one gets shot and killed like it just. I don't know, man. Well, I think but once I you once you start rolling in certain circles, I mean, it almost yeah. kind of like fuels itself, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and, and you know, once you start going to the same parties or clubs, um, 
you know, I know a lot of people know that I saw them do some bad shit. So whenever there's stories, like, like for instance, Naomi Campbell knows I saw her showing people blood diamonds. I was in the room that way. So ever since then, I can almost write any bad story about Naomi Campbell, and she can't come after me because I have her dead to rights with the blood diamond story, which I've never written, but now you know it. Like, I, I, you know, I well, well I, are we just going to skip over the fact that Naomi Campbell has blood diamonds? <laughs> she had. She was. They were given to her by some big old rich guy. My buddy was banging Naomi Campbell, and, you know, we all went and met at a, at a restaurant after hours, and she came back from seeing this old rich guy, and she opened this napkin, and there were a bunch of blood, and she was like, show us diamonds, but we weren't really understanding it, and then she said, they're blood diamonds. And I remember I said, oh my God, this is such a fucking huge story, but I wasn't writing gossip then, I wasn't reporting on, I'm going on television, and I probably wouldn't have done the story. But I'm but, surprised that she would like tout it like that. Like, why would you know, why, why would you ever you know, say that? Because it's a it's a braggy moment, and because I was dating a great girlfriend of hers, and I guess she figured I'm safe because I have one foot in her world, and I'm out of gossip, so to speak. And you know what? She's right. I never wrote about it, but but I keep that shit in my head. Same thing with Jamie Foxx. There were a lot of people that are in the news now that. I was there when they fucked up. I was there. They know I was there. And that's why, like, when I write for Radar or Star or, or report on things, they don't come after me because they know I know. And I'm not some, I'm no, I'm not, I don't mean this with any disrespect. I'm not some young kid on TMZ trying to make a name. They know that I've been around. And LAJ probably saw that night that I did XYZ. So I'll let this go away, you know. Um, I think that's what it is. I mean, I don't know. I've never been sued, Knockwood. I've been at it over 25 years. I got close. Robert Downey's people came after me, but they knew I was right and they dropped it. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been lucky, I guess. What, what's the biggest confront? Put, put Trump aside on yeah, yeah, a yeah. national platform. But yeah. what's the biggest confrontation you've had, like, in a club or behind closed doors where someone just wasn't happy with the story and they just confronted you about it? You know what? No one got really in my face. I mean, I've had guys like Ben Stiller and um, Joaquin Phoenix came at me one time, and I literally, I had to grab him and tell him to shut the fuck up. He was so loaded. This is after his brother died, and I kind of felt like a bigger brother to him, saying, what the fuck is your mother going to do if you drop dead too, asshole? You know, I just, <laughs> like, schooled him. Anyhow, but I, I think a, a confrontation that mattered was... Um, uh, oh, I just had it. It was, um, oh, oh, Downey. So I'm covering the Oscars. I'm in L.A. at the Oscars, 1996. And I'm at the Mondrian. And I knew when I went back to New York, I was going to be asked to resign because Pete Hamill, my editor, didn't like gossip. And I, I'm at the Mondrian at Skybar, and I see Robert Downey Jr. This is after all those arrests for crack and heroin. And I see him at the Mondrian, loaded. His fingernails are painted. He's fucked up. And I, I write the story. And I'm being told, no, you know, it ran. And they said, Robert Downey's going to sue you. Liz Smith told me I was wrong. She wrote a column about AJ lied. And I said to my editors, I know it's Robert Downey Jr. I, long story short, they came at me with his big lawyers. I didn't retract the story, but I had to kind of apologize that I might not have seen correctly. I get to L.A. in 98. My first manager happens to be a guy who managed 
somebody on the movie that Downey was on, and he tells me, you know what? You were right about that Robert Downey story. We flew him from the movie set in Georgia to L.A. because he wanted to party with his movie star friends on Oscar night. And that story you wrote about him being fucked up in Montreal was true. But if he got caught, he would have broke his probation, broke his parole, and went to jail. So we all had to lie for him. Jeez. That's the closest things got that were nasty. But it never bothered me. I just knew I was right. And I didn't care about apologizing. I made a joke out of it. So I might have been... I might have been four drinks into the night and, and missed seeing him or something. You know, I made a joke at it. Now, yeah, that, 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 that happened. Listening to your story, like, so I know that one thing that, like, I've faced through the years of working in, you know, celebrity news, gossip, whatever you want to call it, is the amount of people that come into the, the space and they just write bullshit. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm hearing what you're saying. You know, you're like, no, I'm 100% accurate. I've worked my career being 100% accurate and then you see all right. these people who come in and are willing to write anything just to get traffic to get a headline you know do you feel like that's hard to compete against when you got so much lying and bullshit flying around out there uh no i really don't um i the, the thing i don't like the most is the amount of people doing it i don't like you know even though i don't technically write gossip when i do my show I pretty much write a show out. So my hands are always on the keyboard writing. And then I talk it in a different way. But I, I almost script out my shows. So in that way, I feel I'm writing a column. I just don't like how many people are doing it and how watered down it's got. When I did it, uh, honest to God, when I did it in New York, I think there were 12 people who did gossip in all of America. I swear to God. Cindy, Liz, me, Richard Johnson, Florence Anthony. I I'm, I'm running out of names now. It wasn't many. And now, my God, it's insane. But I listen to what they do. I watch them on their YouTube channels. I read their, their columns. There are some people who really write snappy, funny gossip. I'm not interested in people who just report. I like when they're creative and have a funny angle on it. And they make jokes. Uh, D-listed is funny. There's some people who have fun with their shit. Others just come on and try to be famous, and I can see right through them. Perez Hilton. He's fucking awful. He's awful. He's awful. He got famous during that span where it was kind of cool to like a gay guy who was eccentric and fucking dye his hair and drew dicks on people's bodies. And it's like, what? There's absolutely no talent to that. But all the celebrities love them because every girl wants to be friends with a gay gossip columnist. Try being a gossip columnist when you're straight, when you're fucking the girls you're writing about, and you're out every night as a target. Perez Hilton hid at a coffee shop. I don't like that. That that gives gossip a bad name. It, it's really hard-boiled reporting. It really is. Most stories today, as you know, a lot of stories today emanate from a gossip column. The biggest stories right now we're talking about, outside of weather events, and, are gossip items that got huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, every day it's a gossip item that got big. Um. So I just don't like the amount of people doing it. But to distinguish yourself as a different person, now that I have some years behind me, I don't really care as much because I know I'm better. And, I, you know, I just know I'm better. But it would, it would suck if I was new at this because I don't know what you have to do to separate yourself from all those people. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I grew up when page six was the biggest thing in the world. I mean, the New York Post was built on page six. That's how big yeah. page six was. You wanted to see where people were going, where they're not. And I feel like now, 
the people, you know, and this might be the people they have now are just, they're not good. The, the bottom line is they're not good and they're not yeah. quick. They're not fast. The industry's changed. And you know what? It, page six has turned into a publicist column rather than a journalist column. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's that, but it's also it, everything's changed now to be first. When I wrote a column, you have to be right. I mean, we had lawyers check it, Pulitzer Prize winning editors check your column before it ever ran a newspaper. And I used to go to bed nervous about some stories. Now, if you hear a rumor at 1230, you want to get it on online by, by 1245. You just want to be first. And people tend to believe the first report. They don't really stick around for the truth. That's the most infuriating thing about gossip. And, and honestly, there are reporters now at the New York Times, at Newsweek, at Washington Post, who are just bad. People are bad at journalism now. I, I, I could teach a course. I won't do it because I don't think there's a, students have the, 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 the attention span they should to learn about reporting, but people aren't good at it anymore. There's very few people. Ronan Farrow, you know, you could take what he did with Me Too and, and make that all about who he is as a journalist, and he still got shit wrong. Very wrong. But he's Ronan Farrow, and we can't shit on him. So he's going to write for the next 30 years and always be deemed right. But if you look at things he wrote, he was wrong. And he went about things in a wrong way. That's a whole different subject. But I don't like how, many, how, how watered down the, 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 the field is now. I just don't. I got a really interesting question that popped up while you were saying that. So who in entertainment do you feel like the – the world looks at them one way, but the reality of who they really are is totally different. Wow. Um, <clears throat> like the behind the scenes person is not what the world thinks. There are, there are so many people like that, Dax. They're, they're, um, the good thing about the news now is not everybody's walking around anointed. People, There's so many people uh, gnawing at their feet to take them down that eventually they'll come down. But I'd say right now, Currently, there's a weird thing going on. Dave Chappelle, who's brilliant, who lives out of New York or L.A., that's up in a farm in Ohio. No one cares about him, really. He comes on and does these specials, and the shit he says in these specials is so on point that he should be looked on at... at he should be the highest-paid comic, not Kevin Hart, because people look at Kevin Hart as this perfect, great actor, wonderful comic. He's doing great things. He's an example of somebody who's completely different than what the public thinks about him. And now there are a couple of things that have happened lately are starting to chip away at his image, and he's starting to come down some. And after this fucking this, this accident report, we really whittle this thing down to people are finally going to see that Kevin Hart's full of shit, and he lies to the public time and time again. He's only one example I can think of right now. But he's somebody that the people think my kids can see his movies, Everything's fine. No, no, no. He's different than you think. He's not what you think. Not to say he's a monster, but he's not so pure and innocent and sweet and fun for, you know, safe for white people. He's, he's everything you think and more. He's, he does things in a very covert, sneaky way. But now he's starting to get found out. Um, he's not breaking any big laws, but, you know, he's, he's, he's cheating on his wives. He's He's driving around, maybe not sober all the time, 
but he has this squeaky clean image because his mother taught him to read the Bible, and he's a sweet, nice, short guy. No, no, no. He's up to some bad shit. You'll see. Is there, in Hollywood, is there a real Ray Donovan? <laughs> you know, I know that I came close to being that kind of guy for a number of people. And <clears throat> there's not one person to know, but I know that when I did it, I was, I was, you know, I'm, I'm linked to Harvey Weinstein forever because uh, we got along great. He gave me my book deal. I wrote about his Miramax films where they were getting off the ground. And of course, I, uh, he came to me for protection, for help when this story broke in 2017. It's been misconstrued that I helped him with these girls. I never did anything of the sort. I, I, but the New York Times and Ronan Farrell got things wrong. Harvey came to me and asked me, he said, I need your help. They're writing a bang-up piece on me. I don't know what it's about, but they're trying to hurt me. So I responded, how can I help? And we sat down with the Four Seasons, and we came up with ideas of how we can find out people who are talking about it. He never said it's about me raping girls. He told me an amount of money he'd pay me a week. It was a lot of money. And 10 years before that, I helped him cover up the fact that he was cheating on his wife with, with Georgina. And he paid me then, too to keep the story out of the papers. And we not one gossip column has got it because I supplied his publicist with a lot of dirt on everybody else. So now when he asked me for help, he never told me it's about rape. We discussed what we could do. He never got back to me. I called him, do you need me? No, I'll just wait. And then about three weeks later, I saw a story where Rose McGowan said, my ex so-and-so, my ex-boyfriend sold his script to my rapist. And I said, holy shit, that sounds like she's talking about Harvey. And then Ashley Judd came out and said something about him. I realized there's a piece being written about Harvey about him raping actresses. And I had no, I had no part of it. But he did ask me for help. The last thing he asked me was, what dirt do you have on Ronan Farrow? And I said, Harvey, he's as clean as a whistle. There's nothing on this guy you're going to get that's going to dirty him up. And... Um, I participated. I, I, I talked to the Times and the Washington Post. I gave my side of things. Harvey was pissed at me, but we, we hashed it out. Um, so there was a time when I would do things for guys like Mel Gibson, Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Weinstein, some of the big shots in the mid-90s who had a lot to lose. And they'd come to me for help with an item or, or a, a story or something that was going to fuck their lives up or make their wives pissed or make the studio upset. And I helped them. That's amazing. It's, it's um, crazy to hear this behind the scenes look at it because, I mean, how do you even, how do you even remember all the dirt oh, that could I, possibly be on people out there? I never forget. Because I, I was involved with a lot of it personally. When you fly to Sylvester Stallone's house in Miami and he tells you it was problem news, you don't forget it. When you're banging a girl who Mel Gibson takes away and is in a hotel room, and then she call, he calls me for help because the paparazzi are out of his room, and can you can you help me leave the room and not, I don't want my wife to know I'm with Vivian. It's, it's, it's my story, because Vivian was the girl I was banging. Like, I, I, I was so involved with those guys that I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I, it just it was plus part of my life. Yeah. So, but, so yeah. I, helped all, I helped all of them. You know, I, I helped them all, and uh, I'm not unhappy i did it felt very powerful to be able to do that 
you know, it felt, I mean, you worked for Harvey. He had to have done that times a hundred with people, times a thousand. Every day there's a story that someone needs help. Yeah, I know you can't talk about it, but I know it's true. <laughs> you know? Well, like, over the years, you've been around all these celebrities. Who was your favorite celebrity to be around, to hang out with, to party with, <clears throat> with, and who was the worst celebrity to be around? I liked hanging out with George Clooney. George was a lot of fun. Um, you know, like 2000, 2001, two. He was a great guy to hang around with. He was going out to nightclubs. I was able to call him. He'd meet me out. You know, it was a different time. Um, Tupac was just great because the whole city, you know, just the seas parted when you were Tupac in New York. I never was with a lot of celebrities that you wouldn't want to be with. I just didn't, I didn't spend time with them. If they were assholes, I didn't want to hang out with them. But um, in my day, when things were hot, uh, supermodels walked the earth. They were the dinosaurs of New York. If you were involved in that crowd, you went anywhere. You just got entree into everything. And um, yeah, I can't think of a guy that, a celebrity I didn't want to be around. Um, Chris Penn was a pain in the ass. Tom Sizemore was not a fun guy to be around when he got loaded. I think the difference is when some of these guys got fucked up, you didn't want to be around them. But I like, I, I know, I, I, I lived at Bob Evans' house for months at a time. When uh, I'd come to LA and I'd stay at Robert Evans' house, I met, I forgot to say that. That's like one of the beginnings of everything. The fact that I was able to stay at Bob's and meet everybody and everybody was okay with me being there because Bob vouched for me. So I'd meet the biggest stars in the world. Oh, I'm not even mentioning hanging out with Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty. And that was countless times we hung out. But those names don't mean much now to gossip columnists now because no one knows who they are. They're almost 80. But, you know, 25, 28 years ago, they were the big fucking names in, in Hollywood. And to be around them, it gave me a lot of cachet, put a lot of cool on me, a lot of shine on me that I was around them. And it created a lot of resentment, too. It created resentment from other reporters who would see me on the other side of a rope or walking into a party with a beautiful girl when I would normally be reporting on it. You know, something's happened that kind of, you know, made people resent me. Did you Did you feel a change, like, when... Let's say you weren't working for, you know, New York Daily News or E. Did you feel like there's certain contacts that you had that decided, oh, I'm not going to be his friend anymore. Now I'm going to I'm going to peace out because he doesn't have that platform. I noticed that a lot in gossip and entertainment. You're close to these celebs and stars, but yeah. the second you're not on that platform, suddenly they don't return your call or they don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that, 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 that definitely happened. But I, but I, I, I kind of knew that I, I wasn't shocked by that. I'm not stupid. I know that when I had that job, the power of the daily news and the fact that I could, you know, people told me, you know, I was looking for work after the news, after I resigned from the news, before I worked for E, there were times when I thought I could call a newspaper and get a job right away. And I could, and the, it, people who knew me reminded me, AJ, people were really scared shit. Of you. You've got a lot of people mad, a lot of people hurt. It's not as easy as you think to just pick the phone up and get them to call you back. When I had the column, there isn't a person that didn't call me back within an hour. I mean, they were petrified. Yeah, and that goes to your head. But, but I, I always knew that the job preceded me. And even though I think I'm a cool guy, I know the job I had was just, you know, it, it, it came before me. For Of course, I know that. I'm not shocked by that. 
Dude, that is insane. So one last thing, you know, we and again, we appreciate your time. You know, this podcast you have, it sounds crazy. I want to ask you, when people ask you your best celebrity story, your best story of journalism, your go-to story, <clears throat> you know, your go-to story from over your career. Oh, God. These are so hard to answer. If, if I knew them ahead of time, I would have prepared something. Here's a great story that it's gossipy, but this is an example of how something that happened to me years ago is back in vogue now. And that's why my podcast is fun, because I take these stories and make them current. But in, like, 2001 or two, I was dating Marlon Brando's daughter, Michelle. Great girl. We together for a year and a half. And um, she didn't know her father's movie. She's, she was conceived out of wedlock, so she looks just like a young Marlon Brando. She used to vacation in his house in Tahiti, but she's not, a, you know, not one of his kids, quote-unquote, but they're still close. And she never watched his movies growing up. And I'd say, Michelle, you got to see On the Waterfront. you got to see Streetcar, Godfather. And I got her to watch all those movies. And one day I take her home for Thanksgiving or New Year's dinner. And every time I went home, I don't know if this is what's for you guys, relatives and friends always want to hear who's gay. Who's gay in Hollywood? Who's gay? And I'd say, I'm not going to tell you because you're never going to believe it. I'd say Tom Cruise. They'd say bullshit. So I stopped giving them answers. So one day they asked me that question, and Michelle said, my father fucked Jane Bean. And I said, can I tell them that? She goes, go ahead. So I picked up a glass, hit it with the knife, and I said, can I have a little speech to make? I said, Jane, uh, Marlon Brando fucked Jane Bean, and Michelle cops to that story. They couldn't believe it. Their mouths dropped. And then she said, he was still alive, she said, he still does fuck guys. I said, can I repeat that? She goes, go right ahead. Now, that's a fun story. I told it to people they love hearing it. Suddenly it's back in vogue because there was that story about Richard Pryor bang Marlon Brando and, you know, uh, Brando bang Richard Pryor and I forget who else. And it's back. It's back again that Marlon Brando had these weird sexual appetites. So that's an example of like a great thing, great story that happened because I happened to be dating his daughter and I got to know a lot of things about her dad that other people don't. Um, so my podcast is a lot of those kind of stories. And I'll take the news of today and I'll spin it. Like today's podcast, I, for some reason, I'm, oh, I'm getting into, it's a story that you won't care about, but Judge Janine Pirro got suspended by Fox. And I remember her, her publicist or her, her, her producer was somebody that started at Joan Rivers, who used to book me for Joan Rivers in 1991. And I started thinking about my relationship with Joan, how Joan started my career in television and how, how many great secret things Joan told me about people. So my show today is about my, my time with Joan Rivers because it got my memory working. I, I don't remember a lot of things, but something will, will pop me into the, the, those days again, and suddenly I'll have 30 minutes talking about when I was with Joan at her apartment in Manhattan, and there was a ghost upstairs named Mrs. Spencer, and I'm just off. I'm off in the nostalgia of that time. God, I, I wish, I, wish I could remember half the stories in my life. I am so impressed by your memory. I forget shit so fast. You'll be surprised when you sit down. I've already written, I wrote a book about my New York stuff. I haven't written the L.A. stories yet. And I'm, I'm putting that together now um, about all the shit I knew and went through and, and the things that have happened to me in L.A. I, I say them really quickly to you on the phone, but if we ever sat down and had a drink, well, I'm sure we can go story for story. I'm positive. <laughs> I know we can. I know you guys will do it off camera. 
like what we do because I feel like we're in this. We are the same profession, but it was more fun during your era than our era. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, and that's the shitty part about it, which sucks. You know, I. I Adam, we can't hear you. Sorry, I, I. You know, I I came up during the New York City nightlife just kind of dwindling down. This is when uh, Butter and, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like that with the Richie Akiva and that stuff. And, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, like, Leo DiCaprio was, like, one of the most craziest guys when it came to nightlife. You know, did you deal with Leo, uh, with Leo yeah, DiCaprio? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that because um, I knew Leo really well. And I knew Leo before. I, I knew Leo during Gilbert Crate. But when I got to become a columnist, um, one night we had dinner because he was new on the scene and he wanted, he was hell bent. He couldn't figure out why people thought he was gay. He said, what is, he asked me, what do people say about me that you think is weird? And I said, I'll tell you the truth. People think you're gay and people still say it today. And he was so taken aback. He's like, but I'm not gay. I fucked Richard Hall. I took a virginity away. And like, you'd never get that response if you asked him. But the fact that he gave it to me, I had a great column to write. But it's still being discussed that DiCaprio's gay. So I wrote a big column that Leo DiCaprio's not gay. And um, it may not sound like a lot of, a lot now, but back in, like, 95, nobody was writing shit like that. Nobody was, like... And I was, you know, I'm a straight guy. And there's, like, Michael Musto was the gay columnist for the Village Voice, who I love. But nobody was really writing shit like that unless it was a gay publication. But to do it in a daily newspaper was pretty out there. And I, I remember hanging out with Leo and my girlfriend and I, Clara Young, who I was dating, Leo was kind of in that crew and he called, he threw a rock up to our her, her apartment because he knew we were there. And he goes, do you guys want to come out and have a drink at whatever place, he was Bowery Bar or something. And I said, we're going to go to the movies. And he looked at us and he said, I can't go to movies anymore. Like, he just got so big, he couldn't do stuff like that. So we went out to a nightclub and we're having fun, Bowery Bar, and some girl comes up to him, must have been 1997, and she was giving him shit, and he was calming her down, and she said, take me home with you. He said, I'm not going to do that. You're going to regret it. And she spit in his face. And a lot of people don't, don't see that side of celebrity. She spit in his face. He was being sweet to her. She spit in his eyeball, and he took the spit out, and instead of doing anything crazy, he just said to us, i got to go home. I can't stay out anymore. And he turned, and Leonardo DiCaprio walked out of Bowery Bar and went down a dark street and walked home. That's such, a, that's such a tremendously huge moment in his life that no one saw. I saw when I saw when Cindy Crawford was cheating on um, on Richard Gere with Randy Gerber. I happened to be there the night because I was tipped off. I went and I waited in the street, and as soon as uh, as soon as she was leaving the club, she left. She came with Richard Gere. He left. And as she's leaving, she took a weird turn, and I followed her, and Randy Gerber shows up in a sports car, and she got inside, the and they left together. I, you know, that's just being on the spot. That's just great, pop, great people, great contacts, tipping you off, and being there for shit like that. You are a right fascinating now. man, I got to tell you. <laughs> you got some fascinating shit in your, your history. I love it. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm so fascinating. My dog doesn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no what? one cares, but thank you for caring. Well, well it, you know, it's and, funny. Yeah, it's, my daughter is 15 now. And, you know, there was a brief spell where I, I ran around with Winona Ryder. After Winona robbed the, the store in Beverly Hills, she, uh, I was a big nightlife 
party guy, you know, pain pills, cocaine, let's have a ball. And uh, Winona heard through her roommate who was dating my roommate, my cousin, AJ had pills. Because I had no, I had two back surgeries. I was always deep, deep in pills. And um, one night I'm out, and my buddy, my cousin goes, hey, where are you? I said, I'm at Ondo. He said, get home now. I said, why? He goes, get. I said, wait, is Winona there? He goes, get home now. I whipped home. I walk in, and they just point upstairs to my room. I go in my room, and the room's kind of dark, and there's fucking Winona Ryder sitting on my bed. I never met her before. And I said, hi, Winona, hi, hi. I hope this isn't weird. And long story short, she asked me for some pills because her back was out. Right? So I give her some pills, and then we started hanging out. And then it'd be like 2 o'clock in the morning, and Winona would call me. Is it too late to come over? I'd say, no, come on over. And we ran around for two months. And, um, you know, it's a, I, I think it's fantastic. And, and, and I stopped seeing her because I met my wife. And the, the first date with my wife, I said, before we go out, I've got to go to the Virgin Megastore on Sunset and give Winona a bottle of Vicodin. She's in the lesbian book aisle. Swear to God. <laughs> now, I, don't, I forget about this shit. My daughter is a big fan of Stranger Things, and she goes, oh, Daddy, season two, you got to see it. I go, you know, Daddy used to run around. I kind of dated Winona Ryder. Normally, she doesn't give a shit about my career. When she heard that, she couldn't sit down on my bed fast enough. And my wife's like, don't tell her stories like that. I'm like, well, it's not a big deal. So I'm getting like a resurgence because my kid is getting old enough. Like the other day, Demi Lovato got mad at me and we were texting back and forth. And she was giving me shit. I was giving her shit. And I said, daddy's fighting with Demi Lovato. It's a very strange thing to tell your 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Um, so I, I'm enjoying this. It's a different audience for me. Um, I like that my kid, well, I don't like that she hears everything. I, I, I keep, you know, part of my podcast is subscription only, so she can't hear the really sordid stuff. But um, it makes me feel good now that my kid can listen to stories and kind of, you know, put a name and a reference to some of the shit daddy's done. Uh, may not be such a proud moment for a lot of dads, but hey, give him an a ride at Viking in the lesbian book house, pretty cool. <laughs> Well, thank you again, buddy. I love it. The stories, I, I'm, they're endless, and it's it's awesome, and it's really fun to listen to. You know, listen, you got two other straight journalists here, entertainment journalists that love it, and we we know the the struggle of everyone being like, what the fuck do you guys care about celebrities? Why do you I want know. to talk about don't it? Don't you feel weird? I mean, don't you feel weird? But I and I don't I I love it. I don't know why. I've always just enjoyed it. I love the celebrity side of it, and yeah. you know what? It is what it is. It's hey, whatever hard. happened to Blondie, the good-looking kid with the blonde hair on TMZ? What's his name? You know, the good-looking kid was Max. Where's Max? Max is, is surfing. He's bartending. What was he's funny was kidding. when you were when you were talking about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. One of my funnier stories, the one run-in that I've had with Leo, was Max and I went clubbing one night, and we went right. to I think it was called like Villa or something in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're upstairs. We had just ordered a bottle. They cracked it open. Leo walks in takes one look at us and tells oh. them, get them out. And we were immediately oh. escorted out the back door and like kicked out of the, uh, out of the club. You see, let me tell you what a difference that is. Just think Leo would have seen me and sat down. Yep. Not because, not because I'm better. It was a different time. It just, yeah. he wanted to, I don't know what it is, but 
I feel your pain. That sucks. That really sucks. But it's also cool to know you got that kind of power behind you. You wield a lot of power. Well, I was sitting there going, damn, Leonardo DiCaprio just recognized me. That's yeah, fucking no, cool. That is cool. It does, it does matter. It does matter. I know what you mean. Even though, look, I'm 57, and when Demi Lovato posts something on Instagram for me privately, part of me feels like an asshole because I could be your dad. But the other part goes, that's eh, pretty cool. Demi Lovato's talking to you. Yeah. It's so gay. I feel like that's what is the the addiction part of it in some ways is the story, you know, and not the story itself. It's the story to get to the story. And that's what we do on this podcast. And that's what you're sharing with us. It's like these stories, we're just such fans. It's, you know, we know, I I know Dax and I kind of feel like this. It's so hard to even talk about entertainment news because we know so much about it in the gossip world that it's hard to prove to girls that we're straight, you know? People could see me out with chicks, so they knew I wasn't. But, oh, I totally understand why people would think anybody who's that into this kind of celebrity shit is gay. Completely. Completely. I, look, about a month ago, I'm watching TV, and I can't stand Chrissy Teigen. I just can't get over why the world loves her. I can't. So I'm watching this show, and I literally, this is an example of me bending a story to make it my story. I go, I know that they didn't want to hire her for this show. I know that some executive in the room said, why are we hiring an ex-supermodel to be a comedy judge on Bring the Funny? And sure enough, I went in that, armed with that thought. I found an executive at the network who admitted, yeah, that did come across. I wrote the story for Radar. And yesterday or today, a couple of outlets have run with the story two and a half weeks later that Chrissy Teigen, NBC is regretting that they hired her. I don't know if they just read my story and they, they're copying it, but I know that began because I couldn't stand seeing her on commercial. Like, that's how much you can bend the fucking news cycle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Crazy. I like that power. It's like kind of a, I feel like a mad scientist. I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you. We'll let you get back to your stuff. Please, if, right. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let everyone know you've got to check out Fame is a Bitch. That is your podcast. You said you do have the open free version and then you have a subscription site as well to yeah. listen to it to hear the real nitty-gritty goodness cool yeah every day it's every day is patreon but monday wednesday and friday is free and then uh, you can find him on twitter at real aj benza and uh thank you again buddy it was really fun anytime. great talking with you thank you so much sorry it took so long anytime guys you no we it. loved every I, second of it so don't I even apologize i need i need some sources and so do you so keep in touch oh yeah we gotta talk to him trust me dude i got we all got right. Him. all right keep in touch i'll talk to you later all right thank later man take care man you Bye. Got it. well that was fun dude what a what a guy huh i mean listen the stories he has or, I mean, he he's obviously worked on a book, but he's just a guy who is the right place, the right time. And the more you're out, the more you're able to be able to do these stories. I mean, the guy, wow, from Tupac to Leo to banging all these girls. I mean, what a life. I fucking love our podcast. Like, I don't even care what people think. I Like, I love it. Just to hear the stories and, like, the background stuff that, like, how you're telling us about Naomi Campbell wheeling and dealing blood diamonds? Like, what? <laughs> Easy. Crazy. Well, listen, if you like that, you know, make sure you check out AJ Benza. Uh, I am at Adam Glenn on Instagram. Dax is at Dax Holt. Uh, and again, if you like it, write a review, subscribe, tell a friend. Let all your friends know about it so we can get seven listeners. 
We need seven. Let's no more six. We need seven. <laughs> uh, all right, buddy. Well, I will see you I'll next see week. You Thank you, everyone. And uh, until then. Later.